Welcome to the Gray Path Podcast with your host, Tony B. A podcast dedicated to the geeks, the freaks, the loners, and the left behinders. Join me while we dive deep into all of your favorite fandoms. Together, we will explore the lessons and discover inspiration within the vast world between the light and the dark. Discover yourself. Discover your great path. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Gray Path Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tony B. So this is our first uh, podcast with video. Um, so bear with me. It, it might be a work in progress. Still trying to figure out how I'm going to do all this. Anyway, uh, it's going to be a special episode of the podcast because I don't really necessarily have a geek topic that I want to discuss. This is really an episode about my upcoming trip to Iceland. Um, So this will be the second time that I have gone to Iceland. Um, The last time was two years ago before the pandemic. It was a spur of the moment trip, uh, kind of a a realization that I needed to see the world. And I happened to have uh, my son was set up to stay with someone for a week. And originally I was supposed to go to um, Star Wars Celebration in uh, Chicago. I had tickets to that. Um, my ex-wife had purchased them for me. She had bought me two tickets, one for myself and one to take with someone else. Well, long story short, I offered uh, the extra ticket to a bunch of people. Nobody decided they wanted to go. I started looking into it. It looked like it was going to be a big cash expenditure. And to be honest, I, I was really down in the dumps over my recent divorce. So I wasn't too keen on doing that trip because of all the connotations that had gone with it. So I ended up um, just kind of had a spur of the moment, kind of looked into what it would take to go elsewhere. Um, I had never left the country before. I had never really known anything about Iceland. And I happened to read a an article about how Iceland was this beautiful place. It was kind of undiscovered um, as far as not a lot of people went there. And I looked into it and immediately I became enamored by the beauty of the photographs that I had seen. So I started doing a lot of research as is my way, because that's just who I am. Um, I look at something and I kind of dive right into it. So I started doing research and I discovered that um, to travel there was actually really cheap. Um, In fact, I could go to Iceland for a week for arguably less than I would spend going to Chicago. Um, So I went ahead and booked the trip. It was kind of terrifying uh, because here I was, I'd never left the country. I didn't even have a passport. um, And there I am buying a ticket to go to a foreign country. So I bought the ticket, I bought the trip, and then it just started that clock And I guess this is a good topic to talk about here because I feel this is something that all of us have universally experienced, which is the fear of the unknown, even when that unknown is a good thing. So in the weeks that took place between when I booked the trip and when I left for the trip, thousands of opportunities suddenly presented themselves to not go. Anything and everything from you know, what if, uh, you know, what if I die? What if it's terrible? What if Traylon, that's my son, what if Traylon needs me? All these excuses came to mind, all this fear. And it was, 
it was pretty noticeable when I sat down and thought about it. This fear was intrinsically tied to the fact that it was unknown. It was that part of my brain that says, you don't deserve this. It was my part of, part of my brain that was like, you know, yeah, this could be life-changing, but isn't it so much more comfortable to stick with what you know? And a couple of times I almost canceled and I didn't. I bought all of my what I call the cold weather gear, because I was reading these blogs about Iceland. And they said that if you go, I was leaving in May, if you go in May, it's important to understand that it's the end of their winter, this, that, and the other thing. So I bought all the stuff and everything was lined up and then it was time to go. So I drove myself uh, all the way to New York City, uh, which was the first time I had been in New York City. And I went and I saw a great friend of mine from way back in the day when I used to be what's called a Denny's rat, when I used to hang out at Denny's at all hours of the night, uh, my buddy JK Jordan, and he lives in New York now. Um, one day, maybe we'll have him on the show. I think he's a great story to tell. Uh, by far one of the most pleasurable characters I've ever had the privilege of playing or DMing with. He has a character called Randall Regalio III. Absolutely epic. <laughs> Just beautiful stories from those. We'll, we'll get into those another time. Anyway, drove all the way out to New York didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, I live at the time I didn't live where I live now. I lived in a place called Wimber, which is a tiny little town. So driving to New York City was um, a, a different experience to put it mildly. Uh, I had a great little lunch um, with JK, which was fantastic. Uh, and found out he had actually had plans. He was going to Iceland, uh, I believe, a month or two after me. So he was just as excited for me to go as I was because he knew he was going to be experiencing the country after me. So got on my plane uh, and I took Iceland Air out of JFK, got on the plane and got to say like the airline, obviously this isn't a plug for anything, but the airline's super clean, super friendly people, um, super smooth flight, uh, flew out to their airport, which is right outside of Reykjavik, the capital, um, went through customs, which was a new experience. I'd never left the country before, um, took the bus ride and took a bus into the capital, got situated in my hotel and throughout the five days I was there. So I was there for five days. It was a life-changing experience. Uh, maybe some of it can be chalked up to, it was the first time I left um, the country. So it was uh, a, you know, a new experience in that regard, but it really is just a gorgeous and beautiful country. Uh, the people there are arguably some of the nicest people I have ever met in my life, ever. Um, they're all super friendly. Um, you know, they obviously speak Icelandic and they speak English. Uh, while I was there, um, I could not pass up the opportunity to train at a foreign gym. So I ended up doing a jiu-jitsu class at um, Mjolnir, which is their MMA gym where uh, UFC fighter Gunnar Nelson trains out of. And uh, went in there, super nice people. I just, I walked everywhere when I was in Reykjavik. Went in there, um, signed up for the class, had no idea what to expect. Again, tiny little small town guy. I mean, I've trained around at some smaller gyms, you know, in the Pennsylvania area, but this, this was a big step for me. And, uh, you know, I went into the class and everyone in Iceland, in addition to being just fantastic people, are giant. <laughs> they're giants. I'm not a big dude. I'm five foot six, you know, so I'm pretty short for a guy to begin with. But everyone out there, just huge, hulking giants. <laughs> and uh, I... I when I was sitting waiting for the class to start, I met this guy named Magni. And this dude was again, a giant. I mean, he he was probably 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you know, just built like a brick shit house. 
incredibly awesome guy, <laughs> like super friendly, you know, shook my hand, was really interested to hear where I had been. You know, if I had any experience, he was really excited to tell me about his training. He had just been doing this. I can't remember. I think he said he'd been training for a year or two. Um, and he was just excited to see what an American could show them. So I went into the class and uh, I, I don't remember the instructor's name. He kind of looked like Jesus, um, super chill dude. And it was funny because I was clearly the only American there. Everyone there was clearly a native Icelandic person. And, you know, he had explained, he was like, you know, if you want, I'm going to teach this class in Icelandic and I can stop and translate everything. And I was feeling squirrely, I guess. And I was like, you know what? Don't bother. I've been training JITS for, you know, a long time. It, it can't be hard. And I got to say, you know, they talk about, if anyone's ever heard of the term Esperanto, it was this like weird farcical language that was created. I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. I think it was in the 50s. Maybe it was earlier. But anyway, it was the this idea of creating a universal language. Everybody would know Esperanto in addition to their native tongue. Obviously, I assume no one here speaks Esperanto, so we can all agree that was a failure. But along those lines, I got to say, you know what is a universal language? Jiu-Jitsu or really any martial art in general, but specifically for this instance, jujitsu. So it was a two hour class. They didn't speak a lick of English the entire class. And you know what? I got along perfectly fine. You know, if you've done jujitsu, if you've done martial arts and you've done it long enough that you've got a pretty good understanding of it, you can go into someone who doesn't speak a lick of your native tongue and just watch. And by doing that, you can follow along. Well, it was fantastic. I rolled a bunch of uh, rounds against different people. I rolled one against Magni. Um, and it was fun because I learned that I, I did surprisingly well, um, like surprisingly well. Maybe they were all just being incredibly kind to me, but I did surprisingly well until I rolled with uh, the Jesus looking guy, the, the instructor. And so that guy, again, tall dude, probably 6'2", 6 6'3", 6 um, kind of a slender guy, because again, he looked like Jesus. I'm going to say maybe a buck 65, maybe a buck 45, give or take. That man was as strong as iron. He made me look like a little baby. I don't think I was able to pull off a single transition on him. I never got into a dominant position. He just made me look like a fool. <laughs> uh, so for those who don't understand jiu-jitsu, um, dominant position is pretty much what it sounds like. I was never at a point in rolling around with this guy that I was actually in control. He, he clearly just dominated me. But he was incredibly kind about the whole thing. And when the class ended, it was just a great experience because I got to do something I love in a country I was experiencing with people who were just incredibly friendly. Um, other highlights of the trip were getting to experience Icelandic nightlife, get to see the beautiful country, the Golden Circle. I went to the South Shore, almost died there. So that's a fun story. Um, so we went to this place, uh, on, I believe it's the South Shore, where they have black sand beaches. And most of the beaches, if not all of the beaches in Iceland are black sand. And that's because it's not really sand. It's all byproduct of the volcanoes. It's a very, very active uh, geological region. And our tour guide, who was, he had been living in Iceland for a long time. I'm trying to remember what he said his native country was. It was somewhere in the EU. But anyway, he he had been in Iceland a long time and he warned everybody on the bus. He said, listen, we're going to this beach. It's a very famous beach. It's a very beautiful beach. However, there are these things called sneaker waves. Now these waves, they're called sneaker waves because they look like duds. Like if you've ever been to the beach and you've watched waves rolling in, you can always see big waves coming. And then you see like the small ones where you're like, Mer. so these are called sneaker waves. 
But what a sneaker wave is, is it looks like a dud wave, but then all of a sudden it shoots up the beach incredibly fast and incredibly far and has an incredible amount of pull. And because of the volcanic sand, when it goes back in, that volcanic sand is much looser than standard sand, like the silicone sand that we're all used to. And as such, when those sneaker waves shoot in and come back, they tend to pull everything out in to the water. And at this point in time, the water is like... 30 degrees, 32 degrees. I mean, I guess it wasn't frozen. So it would be, I guess, as close as you could get to the freezing point without actually being frozen solid. It was incredibly cold water. And he warned everyone, you know, several people a year die, mostly tourists die because of these sneaker waves because they don't respect them. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to respect them because I don't want to die. We went down to the beach and, um, and one piece of advice before we got off the bus, he said, look at the sand. Don't go farther than where you can clearly see the sand is smoothed out because you know that a sneaker wave hit there. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went there and I started filming and I'm watching, you know, I'm taking pictures of the ocean and I'm watching and I see a whole bunch of people like right up, right up on the water's edge. And I'm wondering to myself, like, these people are fucking stupid. They're going to die. And... (laughs) Uh, like a couple sneaker waves had come in and people were like, oh, and they'd run back real quick and, you know, maybe get a little wet. And like, I I looked over at the tour guide a couple of times because there's multiple tours coming and going. I mean, this wasn't the only tour guide. He was just our tour guide. And he was shaking his head like these people are stupid. And it's crazy. So like, I'm far back, like I'm a good 10, 15 feet back from this smooth line, like this area we're told don't go past this point. And a sneaker wave came in and boy, oh boy, was it a sneaker wave. It shot in as it, you know, I'm waiting for it to peter out at roughly that smooth line. It doesn't slow. I realize immediately, oh shit, I'm in danger. So I turn around and just start hauling ass. There's people way farther ahead of me. This sneaker wave shoots past me. Water goes all the way up to my crotch. Again, I'm five foot six. So that's, you know, probably three feet of water all the way up to my crotch as I'm running and it's cold as hell, but of course adrenaline's pumping. So you don't feel that. But I do feel as the wave starts to recede, I start to feel the ground literally being pulled out from under me. And I don't know, survival kicked in. I managed to not go down and I just kept running until I got out of it. And as I turn around, I find out that one of the people from my bus almost dies. So she went down Like when it came, she was way farther than me. When it came in, it threw her off her feet, threw her down in the water, pushed her the whole way out, then started pulling her in. And it was only by pure luck that she wasn't pulled into the water, but she lost her phone. She lost her camera. I believe she lost her purse. All of that pulled into the water. A couple other people went down. I think two or three other people lost phones from it. I mean, even the tour guide was running because he thought he was far enough back. When we all got on the bus, he said that in the, I don't know, 17 years, I think he had said that he's been doing this and living in Iceland. He has never seen a sneaker wave shoot in that far. So because this is the gray path, what can we learn? And that's not a geeky story. It's not tied to any sort of fan fiction. But what can we learn from that? So the concept of a sneaker wave, when everything looks normal, when everything looks peaceful and something comes out of nowhere and takes the ground out from under you. I think that's very indicative of life in general. We all have those moments where a sneaker wave rushes up on us. And I guess the question is, what are we doing 
before that sneaker wave comes? Are we pushing boundaries? Are we standing up at the water's edge like some of those people did? Or are we trying to play it safe? And let's say we were playing it safe. I mean, the lady who went under and lost her purse and her phone and her camera, you know, she was ahead of me, but she was still behind the quote unquote safe line. So to me, the question begs, how prudent is staying behind the safe line? And is it worth is playing it safe worth it? So a couple of people who were farther ahead than us, they got hit by the sneaker wave. They didn't lose as much as the lady who was playing it safe. They still lost something, but they didn't lose as much, but they could have lost their life. What did they get from it? They got a pretty kick-ass story. And I don't know. I don't know that I know the answer to that. I can say that it's very interesting to think about because it's a great example of sometimes playing it safe doesn't mean that you're free from danger. And a sneaker wave can still come out of nowhere and take you out. So I guess the question is, are you playing it safe or are you living, but living carefully? So just something to think about. Just one of those little lessons we can extract from my first time in Iceland. Uh, Let's see. What else did I learn while I was there? Um, I'm sure I learned a lot. It's just, it's been two years and I'm super excited to go back now. So uh, as my bouncing around mind comes to think of it, uh, maybe I'll blur something out here in the next couple of minutes. So anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about my upcoming trip because I am planning to do a video journal of my trip um, specifically for you guys here at The Great Path. Um, obviously, it's going to serve me because it'll it'll serve as like a reminder of my next trip. But also because I know that, I'll, you know, I know it's not prudent. Everyone doesn't have the both the economic or the, you know, the time constraints to just drop everything and go to a foreign country. So maybe as I'm experiencing it, I can share it with you guys. And as I'm learning these lessons, because this second trip for me is really going to be a lot of soul searching. It's been a long time since I've had any kid-free time. It's been two years since I've had a solo vacation. I'm certainly looking forward to kind of finding the next step while I'm there. Um, And that's what this is kind of all about. I mean, this podcast is very, very new. Um, I mean, this is our first episode with video. Uh, It's very, very new, but there's a lot I want to do with it. And there's a lot I think I can give to the world um, through it. So this time in Iceland is really going to allow me to search myself, my, my, my soul, if you will. And, uh, hopefully come back with some new purpose, focus, and answers. While I am there, um, and hopefully all pans out, fingers crossed, uh, my first time I was there, I met this awesome dude named Teo. I cannot pronounce his real name because my mouth has a very hard time with the Icelandic language, although I do plan on learning it, or at least trying my hardest to. Anyway, incredible dude. He was the tour guide. Um, I went on a Game of Thrones tour, uh, which was a tour of most of the sites that they did filming in Iceland for Game of Thrones. And Teo was on multiple episodes as an extra and a stuntman. Um, And he was my tour guide. And uh, it was great. He was wearing his uh, Night's Guard. uh, Yeah, the Night Guard. Yeah, the Night's Guard, where he was wearing his costume, which was awesome. Um, And he had a sword with him, which is important. You should always carry a sword. Uh, and it was, we, we kind of hit it off just immediately. He was a very witty man. Um, and of course I'm a smart ass. So, uh, we hit it off really well, <laughs> just kind of banter back and forth. Uh, and he had just great insights. We went all over the place. 
I got some cool pictures, some cool behind the scenes information. Uh, and again, we just kind of hit it off. And he was like, hey, you know, shoot me a friend request on Facebook. He's like, I don't normally accept friend requests outside of my actors page, but shoot me a friend request. And I did. And we have kind of exchanged messages here and there on Facebook. And I kind of keep up to date. He has a son now, a beautiful, beautiful child. But anyway, I reached out to Teo when I knew I was coming out. Um, and I was like, hey, would you at all be interested in doing a guest spot on this podcast I'm working on? And he was like, absolutely. So fingers crossed, I'm going to be doing an episode with Teo while we're out there. And we're just going to talk everything. We're just going to talk about whatever he wants to talk about. So his time in, you know, on Game of Thrones, we're going to talk about he's an Icelandic historian, which is super cool. Plus, he does a lot of um, actual like combat, like sword combat. Um, uh, I'm sure he'll tell us a story of why he's called Swordbiter. Just incredibly charismatic, charming guy. Really looking forward to this episode. Hopefully it takes place. Hopefully I'll be able to share it with you guys. Um, and we can kind of go from there. So uh, we got that in store. Um, this time, unlike the first time, I rented a car. So my plan is to kind of do some excursions on my own outside of uh, the tour buses. Not that they, I mean, they're fun, but it would be nice to be able to kind of forge my own path. So I'm just super excited. I uh, got a new hotel this time. What was something a little bit different? Uh, that's a little more in downtown Reykjavik. Uh, maybe I'll hit the penis museum. Uh Reykjavik has a penis museum. I saw it as I was leaving on my last day. I was walking back from getting breakfast uh, in the middle of the city and happened to see the door for it. So perhaps I'll head up the penis museum and see what life lessons we can learn from that. Anyway, that's all I've got for you today. I don't I, I don't want this to be a super long episode. I'm just really excited. Um, so today is Saturday going into Sunday. Uh, I leave on Tuesday. Uh, and like I said, I plan on doing like a video journal, which I'll splice together at it and put on the Facebook um, once I get back. Maybe I'll record an episode or two while I'm out there. I mean, I hopefully this Teo episode, fingers crossed, that's going to be the, like the primary thing I'm doing. But who knows if the, the, if the mood strikes me, maybe I'll record an episode while I'm there. But anyway, I, I appreciate you all taking the time to listen and or watch uh, or both. I'm always open to any critiques you might think as far as the, you know, content, stuff like that. I know we didn't really talk about anything that was too geeky here, but I just kind of wanted to gush with you guys about my upcoming trip, kind of share some fun stories from when I was there the last time. I'm sure we'll do another similar episode like this when I get back and share some fun stories. So uh, again, I just want to thank everyone here for traveling with me on my gray path. And I really hope that we can continue forward and then I can join you as you discover your own. So as always, I'm Tony B. And this has been another episode of The Great Path. Thank you all for listening today. Don't forget to follow me on social media at The Great Path on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show. As always, I'm your host. Tony B, and you be safe out there.